Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? It is great to see you here this morning. I'm so thankful that you chose to come and worship with us. And, and if you're visiting with us today, if you're a guest, we are excited that you're here as well. We, uh, we, we know that God is doing some incredible things in the, the life of this church, and we're, we're glad that you chose to be here with us today. And so we just want to thank you for, for choosing to spend the day with us. And so uh, I tell you, God is moving in some amazing ways. And, and I want to just start off this morning by by saying thank you to a lot of people. I want to say thank you to, to our staff. I want to say thank you to the hundreds of volunteers that came out and participated this weekend. And the Red Cross, the Red Cross was in our building this weekend. But we had uh, a, about 250 evacuees from, uh, from all over the, the coastal areas, uh, Jacksonville to Brunswick to Savannah, all those different places that had came uh, to Valdosta seeking shelter. And they found shelter here. And I just want to thank all those that participated this morning and thank Jesus Christ for the opportunity we had to just pour into their lives. Can we give Jesus a hand this morning? And just, I tell you, there's a, there's a lot of people that missed out on a lot of sleep this weekend. But I tell you, every one of them would tell you it was very worth it. Uh, it was a blessing to us to have that opportunity to just be a part. Uh, I want to share one story with you that took place. There's a lot of stories. There's hundreds of stories that took place this weekend, but uh, there, was a, there was a group of people that one of our church members found in a parking lot, and there was about 32 of them, and they were Muslim, and they were sitting in the parking lot, and, uh, and our, one of our people went up to them and asked them if they were seeking shelter, and they said, yeah, they had nowhere to go, and he invited them to come to be a part of, of us here, and so they were here with us, and we had an opportunity to show them the love of Christ and just uh, pour into them and to, to help them and... and uh, this morning, I received this thank you letter, and I just want to read this to you. It's, it's, it's very simple because uh, they, they couldn't speak a lot of English, but, uh, but the reality is one of them wrote out this letter, and, uh, and it's really coming from all of them, but I want to read this to you because I believe this is really the, the impact that was made uh, by our church to a lot of people uh, over the last few days, but it says this. It says, Dear Cross Point Church family, and I think it's really interesting that they would say family. Because I think that's what they experienced here. I think that's what they saw in us, and I think that's what they experienced here. And they experienced that well enough that they would address us as a faith family. And so they said, Dear Cross Point Church family, I just want to thank you all for you, for you helping us and staying uh, in your church for a few nights. Thank you for uh, the food, for the beds, and the baby stuff. Without you guys, we were about to sleep in our cars in what could have been a cold night. I will never forget your help to us. It meant a lot to me. God bless you all, and I thank you with all of my heart. From Safa Faraka. And so that was just one of 250 people that stayed here with us. And, uh, and there's no doubt that, that the efforts of many of the body of Christ coming out and serving these people made a difference in their life. And so I just want to... Thank you again to all of our staff, uh, to our volunteers that came out, for all the people that provided tons of resources. We had all that we needed up here, and it was just remarkable. And so uh, I'm just thankful to Jesus for those kinds of opportunities, aren't you? Amen. You know, one of the, one of the other things I'm, I'm excited about celebrating with you, and, and uh, it, it may seem sort of small in light of what took place in, in, in the last few days, but... Uh, this past year, Brian, Roy, and I were talking about uh, how this past year we have already launched seven new life groups. 
And, uh, and, and one of the things that I think is really remarkable about that, and you, you're probably wondering, well, why is Pastor David so excited about just seven more uh, new life groups? But let me tell you, one of the things that I love about that and that excites me about that is, is the reality that, that what we know and what we believe in around here is community. And, and we believe in this place being a faith family. And, and, you know, no doubt on Sunday morning we have community here in this place. But uh, we have a more intimate level of community in our life groups. And so I am so thankful for each and every life group and life group leaders that, that just pour themselves into the, the heart of this church and to celebrate seven more being created. This also says that we have a desire among us to grow in our walk with Christ and also, and this is very important, to care for one another. Amen? And so could we just celebrate seven new ones uh, this year? And I just pray that that we would celebrate seven more or 15 more before the year's over. I, I tell you, God's doing a lot of incredible things, and he's bringing people to the church, and, 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 and we're just continuing to grow, and that's exciting. So I want to pray this morning. We're going to dive into God's Word, and, uh, and so I want to invite you to join me in prayer, and let's celebrate these things and just ask him to be with us as we dive into his Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for your presence in this place. And uh, God, we have gathered here to worship you in spirit and truth. God, we're thankful for every opportunity that we have, just like we had this weekend where, where people came into our church that we never knew. And God, they were escaping a darkness uh, of a storm that was in their life, a difficult situation where they had to leave their homes and leave everything behind. And yet, Lord, they wound up here with us. And we had an opportunity to meet new friends and to minister to those who were, who were really uncertain about what their future uh, held for them. But God, I thank you for those opportunities because I know that they were encouraged by just being here and being a part of what you're doing in this place. And I know that they were impacted by your presence in this place. And so, Father, thank you for that. Thank you, God, for the excitement that we have for launching new life groups, that discipleship would be still the forefront of what we believe in here at Cross Point Church and community. And, 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 Lord, just fellowship. And, Father, I just thank you for, for what we're seeing in the life of this church. God, I thank you for your presence here now as we prepare to dive into your word. And I pray, Father, that as we, as we look into your word, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would help us to set aside every distraction that may exist in our life. And, God, that we may be ready to hear not only from your word, but to hear from you. God, we love you so much, and we praise you, and we thank you for this time together that we get to share as a faith family. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recently heard a story about the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall was a wall that was built in 1961, and it, it went right down the middle of Berlin, Germany. And it, it divided East Berlin from West Berlin. And one of the things that, that happened over the course of several years while that wall existed was this sort of separation where one group couldn't get to the other and vice versa. And it wasn't until 1989 that that wall would come down. And a lot of people said there was a lot of reasons why that wall eventually came down. But a lot of the East Berliners testified after the wall had come down what one of the reasons was for them just demanding that it come down. And here's what they would say. They would say that they had come to the belief in East Berlin that things were better in West Berlin. And as they came to 
understand that, the reasons that they gave for that was that they said that as they live life on the east side, what they heard on a daily basis was laughter and song on the other side. Now, I want you to just imagine that for just a moment. One group of people, the same people really, the same culture of people, but this wall dividing them. And on one side, there's, there's a side where people are living and there's joy in their heart and there's, there's passion for life and, and, and things just seem to be going so well. There's, they have the reason to laugh and to sing. And on the other side of the wall, there's sadness and there's darkness and there's quietness and there's, there's darkness and, and it just doesn't seem to be. And so coming to a place where you would begin to rise up and demand that that wall be tore down because there is just something different about your side than there is the other side. To pursue that with everything that you are. You know, I heard that story and I started thinking about the Christian life. Because I believe that there's a lot of Christians today that are living the life just like the West Berliners where there's so much joy and there's the fullness of God and there's just peace and understanding and, and they're living their life with such a, a presence of hope that can only be found in Christ Jesus in their heart as they live out their life. They're living just this full assurance that, that God has got this and, and that they, it brings such joy knowing that Christ is in control. And then on the other side of this thing, we have Christians who are living their life so often with discouragement and darkness and a lack of peace and so much uncertainty and discouragement and depression and all of these other things. You've got one group of believers who are living and thriving in Christ Jesus and you've got this other group that is lonely and seemingly without. Let me ask you a question this morning. What would it take for us as believers in Christ Jesus to pursue the treasure that we think is worth pursuing? What would it take for us as believers to convince us that, that Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God is treasure enough that we would pursue that with everything that we are? What would it take? There's been many of the great preachers that have preached on the pursuit of God, on the pursuit of His holiness, on the pursuit of His righteousness. There's been a lot of them that have talked about it. A.W. Tozer was one who spoke on the subject quite a lot, and in 1948 he wrote a book called The, the Pursuit of God which was read by millions and today is still read by millions of people. And one of the things that A.W. Tozer sort of brought to light was, was the tragic culture of modern Christianity. And one of the things he said in sort of revealing this was this. He says, how tragic that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us, talking about pursuing God, seeking done for us by our leaders. Everything is made to center upon that initial act of accepting Christ, and we are not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. We have been snared in the coils of spurious logic, which insists that we have found Him, that if we have found Him, we need no more to seek Him. 
The reality is, is that there are a lot of people that live in that place. To where they gave their life to Jesus Christ. They surrendered to Him for salvation. They, they have hope and, and, and eternal life because of what Christ has done in their heart. But they continue to live their life live their life as though nothing has changed. And so what would it take for us as believers in Christ Jesus to get to a place that we recognize that Jesus truly is our treasure, that Jesus and his righteousness and his holiness is the treasure that we should be seeking above all other treasures, and that with everything that we are, we would pursue this. And we would hunger for this. And we would thirst for this. And that our hunger would not be satisfied until we were filled with the presence of God. That our thirst would not be quenched until we were filled with the fullness of God. What would it take for us to pursue God in that manner? In 1984, John Piper, another well-known pastor, he, he preached a message called Going Hard After a Holy God. And in this message, he wrote these words. He says, Paul's pursuit of Christ rises out of a profound dissatisfaction with the way he is. In other words, he said the apostle Paul uh, had, was living his life and was never satisfied where he was. And then he says this. He says, could it be that there's a connection between how little earnest pursuit of God there is today in the church and how much we are told to think well of ourselves? We live our lives as Christians, convinced that everything is good where we are. We get very comfortable with status quo. And we live our lives knowing that we have an assurance of, of salvation. We live our lives knowing that we have an assurance of eternal life with a holy and righteous God, but not pursuing Him while we live on this earth. I remember hearing one time that the greatest problem that we have in any room is believing that we don't have a problem. And so often, that's where we find ourselves, isn't it? We wake up in the morning, we go through life without ever thinking about God. We wake up in the morning and we go through life without ever pursuing the holiness and the righteousness of God. We wake up in the morning and we don't ask God for more of Him. And so this morning, we want to talk about what it means to pursue the greatest treasure this world has ever known, to pursue the holiness and the righteousness of God, to pursue the righteousness of Christ. We're going to Proverbs chapter 15, verses 6 through 9, a short text here today that we're going to be looking at. Go ahead and turn there, if you will, in your Bibles or your electronic device or whatever it is that you have with you today. But we're going to look at these passages, and as we have mentioned already in this series, Proverbs is known as one of the wisdom books. In other words, there's not really a, a key person that's sort of central in this other than Christ himself, I guess. But the reality is, is that the theme that sort of flows from Proverbs is this idea that, that we should desire more wisdom and that true wisdom can only come from God. And so this book is very good at helping us understand how we can live our lives as wise and not as foolish. In fact, what we see here in this text in the passage that we're looking at, is that's exactly what's happening. There's this comparison, if you will, of the wise to the foolish. In fact, as we look into this passage, what we're going to see is that there's this comparative between the pursuit of righteousness and worldliness. So there's great contrast between these two. 
And that's what we're going to see here as we read these verses. And the, the idea here is that as, as followers of Christ, as, as believers in God, we should be pursuing the holiness and righteousness of God rather than the things of this world. So read it with me if you will. Verse 6. He says, in the house of righteousness there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. I love this. You know, there's, there's, there's really three things, not just three things I've learned since being a Christian, but three big things I've learned since being a Christian. And one of those is this, is that there truly is a treasure in Christ's righteousness. And who Christ Jesus is and, and, and what, what He is and, and, and what He offers to us that there truly is, he truly is a treasure worth pursuing. But what I've also come to realize is that God hears the prayers of the upright. In other words, God hears the prayers uh, of the righteous. He listens to the righteous. And I think there's a big difference between just hearing our prayers and listening to our prayers. And what we see here in this passage is that God listens to the prayers of the upright. And then finally, also recognizing that he loves those who pursue him. And so that's what we want to look at this morning as we dive into this text and we do dig a little bit uh, deeper into this passage here. In this passage that we're looking at, these three things that I just mentioned, they're revealed, but it starts off like this in verse 6. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. So what we see here is this comparison, this contrast, if you will. That those who are pursuing righteousness, there's great treasure in that. But those who are pursuing worldliness or wickedness or evil or sin, for those there's great trouble. So here's what, it, here's what we see in, in very simple terms. Righteousness equals treasure, okay? Worldliness equals trouble, Okay? Now, here's what I know about, about us, I believe. I, I believe that most of us get up in the morning and none of us are hoping or praying for trouble in our life, aren't we? Most of us don't get up and, and hope for that. In fact, when we go to the Lord in our prayer, or we go to the Lord in our, our quiet time and we spend time in the Word, what we're most likely to be doing is to pray you know, for the things that we know we need to pray about, but also to ask God to just bless our day. We, we are praying that God would go with us, that He would lead us and guide us, that, he would, that, that it would be a beautiful day, and that in that day we would have an opportunity to bring glory to Him, to lift up the name of Jesus, to celebrate Him, to worship Him in spirit and truth. But we are hoping for a good day. Most of us in this room, I, don't, I, would, I would almost be surprised if any of us in this room ever pray and ask God, God, bring on the trouble. We just don't do it. 
We pray for the the good day, not the bad day. And yet the word of God teaches us that righteousness, or at least the pursuit of righteousness, equals treasure. That's something we might pursue, right? That It equals treasure. And I don't think here we're talking about necessarily financial treasure. We're talking about spiritual treasure. We're talking about those sorts of things. But here on one side, this pursuit of righteousness equals treasure. But on the other side, this pursuit of worldliness spells trouble. And this is how our passage starts off. It begins to reveal to us all of this. And and I looked at that and I was wondering, you know, what is the purpose of that? And then it dawned on me that all throughout biblical history, all throughout the scriptures, as we look into the scriptures, we see this really unfolding. Proverbs talks a lot about this, this reality that that, that, uh, that worldliness has had this astonishing effect on Christianity. And I want you to hear what I'm saying here now. That the Bible points out that worldliness or flesh has this astonishing effect on Christianity. That doesn't sound right, does it? It's not right. Because the reality is Christianity should have an astonishing effect on worldliness, right? But the opposite so often is true. What we see throughout scriptures is we look at the Proverbs, we look at uh, the Gospels, we look at the writings of Paul's, we look at all of scripture, we begin to see that the world seems to have this adverse effect on Christianity, which is not supposed to take place, but it does. And so therefore we have passages like this to remind us of the reality that we should be pursuing righteousness, not, righteousness, not the things of this world that we should be pursuing the, the true treasure in our life, not seeking those things which will bring trouble in our life. And we see this sort of spelled out to us. The sad reality is that this, this seeking, this pursuit of worldliness, it continues even though we know that Christ is our true treasure. We see it every day. We see it in our lives. We see it in others who say that they're Christians. We see it in their lives. We see it every day, this pursuit of worldliness. I want to share a couple of statistics with you this morning. I I usually don't bring a lot of statistics to the table, but I want to do that this morning. Uh, These come from the Barna Group, which is a well-known group that that looks at a lot of Christian issues, if you will. And uh, I was looking at this. They're very reputable, but, but I was looking through this, and I started seeing all these statistics that really... I just wanted to share with you, and I wrote down 473 of them. No, I'm kidding. I could have wrote down 473 of them, but but I just got a few here that I want to share with you to just give you some insight on where our American Christian culture is today. 92% of all Americans, 92%, that's a pretty high number, 92% of all Americans responded yes when asked if they personally believed in a God. Now, that's not necessarily Christ as, as a deity, but that's uh, a deity. So 92% of the, of the American population say that they believe in some sort of higher power. They believe in some sort of God or deity. Okay? Now, here's something that I was really surprised to see. 83% of those uh, of, of Americans identify themselves as Christians. I thought that was interesting because I don't, I don't see that in the, the community in which I live, but, but I, I, was, I was looking at that, and, and then I continued reading, and it made sense to me why, why they would probably say this. But 83% of Americans identify themselves as Christians, but only 66% of Christians in America 
perceived God to be an all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the heavens and earth. And so there we have it. We see the, the, the more we start digging down into the heart of the gospel, the more we start digging down into the truth of who Jesus is, the percentage begins to sort of fall off, doesn't it? That, you know, people are very willing to say, yeah, I believe in some sort of God. But when you start drilling down on the deity of Christ and the things that the gospel teaches, then people begin to fall away pretty quickly. And so 60%. Now, here's another statistic for you. Only 49% of all people who say they are Christian say they are devoted to that faith. Only 49%. So that's less than half of all people who say they're a Christian Say that they really, they're, they're, what they're really saying when they say, I'm not devoted to my faith, they say, I, I really don't care anything about it. 49%. And I look at this and I think, man, if the world is not having an effect on, our Christi- on, on Christianity, then, then we're just blinded to this reality that exists in our world today. The world is having, I believe, in some cases, a greater effect on Christianity than Christianity is having on the world. And that's just not how it should be. Now, let me give you one more. This is the one that just really just shocked me. 73% of Christians living in America believe that what is morally acceptable depends on their circumstance. In other words, 73% of the people who say they're Christian are basically saying that God's word doesn't establish for them what is an absolute truth or what is morally correct, but what they're going through in life, they get to determine whether or not it is morally acceptable. That's a sad reality in our world. And so we see this this effect that worldliness has on Christianity, and we see this, this thing that is just taking Christians to a place that that really spells out trouble. Remember what the the passage said, you know, the pursuit of righteousness. This is what the truth of God's word says. The pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of of Christ, the pursuit of God's holiness, that equals treasure. But but the reality is this pursuit of worldliness or flesh, it's only going to equal trouble for you. And yet over and over and over and over in America, Christians are choosing worldliness over righteousness. Why is that? Except for maybe we just don't understand Jesus as the treasure. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 says this. It says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, I look at this, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, it is not from the Father, but of the world. Why would John have to say that to a bunch of Christians except for the reality that they're allowing the world to influence their life? He's having to remind them not to pursue the things of the world because if you pursue the things of the world, then you're going to find nothing but trouble, but instead to pursue the things of Christ. I look at this at the end of this text that we just read, and it says this in verse 17, and the world is passing away with its desires. 
I don't know about you, but I look at the news. Whew. And it seems to me that that's exactly what's happening. The world wants the world and the world gets the world. But as believers in Jesus Christ, what we must understand is that the pursuit of righteousness, that pursuit of a holy and righteous God, the pursuit of one who offers to us a treasure, and the treasure is him himself. He says to us, pursue me, not the things of the world. Pursue me and not the things of the flesh. Then you will find treasure that will satisfy your souls. Here's the good news. Verse 6 says, In the house of the righteousness, there is much treasure. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. It's, it's one that most of us in this room, if we've been in church for very long, we've probably memorized this one. It's a good one because we, we love this idea that God is concerned about our future and that he has plans already figured out for us and that he's, he's taking care of us. And that's good. We want, we want God to, to be in control of our life. We want God to, to, to assure us that he's, he's got this thing called life, right? We, we like this idea that God is in control and that he is leading us and he is guiding us. But in speaking to, to Israel, he, he says this. He says, for I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is the Lord speaking he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. That's pursuit, my friends. That's, that's the friend of God pursuing God, knowing that he is in control, knowing that he is sovereign, but still choosing to pursue him anyway, to chase after him, to come after him. You will come to me. You will call upon me and come to me and pray to me. And listen, listen to this. It says in verse 12, and I will hear you. When you come after me, when you pursue me, I will hear from you. God continues. He says, you will seek me. There it is again. Pursuit. You will seek me and you will find me. And when you seek me with all of your heart, when you pursue with all of your heart, now look at what it says. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God said, you pursue me and I will be found by you. You seek after me, you chase after me, and you will find me. And I will be there to hear you. I will hear your prayers. He loves the prayers of the righteous. We're going to look at that in just a moment. He loves the prayers of the righteous. And God says to his people, you come after me, you pursue after me, you will find me. Not if you're chasing the world, but when you're pursuing me. Now, I know that's Old Testament stuff, and we may think that that's not relevant for us. That maybe was written for Israel, but here's what the New Testament, how it confirms the same truth. In Galatians 5, 19 through 24, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I has warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at the good news. You see the contrast? Those that pursue 
the things of the world, here's what that looks like. This is what, the, this is what Paul writes as he's writing to the Galatians. If you're going to pursue the world, these things are probably going to be a, a part of your life. These are the desires of the flesh. But he says this, he says, but, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit that is the pursuit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, the result of, of pursuing God and His holiness and His righteousness and having the fullness of God as a part of who you are as a disciple of Christ Jesus. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? How does it look different than these other things? He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, is goodness, is faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus had been crucified with the flesh and its passions and its desires. Those who love the Lord and pursue the Lord will find treasure. You pursue the world and there's nothing but trouble and there's defeat and there's sorrow and there's despair. Our pursuit of God's righteousness will result in an incomparable treasure of restoration and peace. Now let me finish by saying this. The passage, it winds up by saying this. I think this is really remarkable. I love this. It's still that comparison between the pursuit of the world and the pursuit of righteousness. But he says in verse 8, he says these things. He, he says, the sacrifice of the wicked, this is that that, that comparison of the world, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But look at this. But the prayer of the upright or the righteous or, the, or the, those who are in, in pursuit of holiness is acceptable to him. And so again, we see this comparison. Pursue the things of the world or pursue the righteousness of Christ. We see this comparison being sort of spelled out here. In verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he who loves him pursues righteousness my friends this is a call to us to set aside worldly desires and to pursue the things of god that's what it is this is what the gospel teaches the gospel teaches us that there is a treasure worth pursuing and that treasure's name is jesus how many of you believe that this morning there is a treasure worth pursuing and that treasure's name is Jesus. That's what the gospel teaches us. That's where the gospel takes us. That there is a treasure waiting for you. Why would you not be pursuing the treasure that waits for you instead of chasing the world which brings nothing but trouble? Why wouldn't you pursue the treasure that is found in Christ? The gospel teaches us that God could care less about the sacrifices that we make when we're making those sacrifices in the flesh, but rather when we pursue the things of God, when we seek after Him, when we pursue His righteousness and His holiness, He loves that. That's what the Word of God says. He loves that. He loves those who pursue righteous. First Peter says something that's very amazing to me. He says, uh, he says for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Now look at this. And His ears are open to their prayers. I love that. Those who are in pursuit of righteousness, the word of God says this, says his eyes, God's eyes are upon those who are pursuing righteousness and his ears are open 
to their prayers. You remember when I said earlier, I believe there's a big difference in God hearing our prayers and listening to our prayers. Peter here, he says, man, you want the eyes of God on you. You want him to hear from you. You want him to, to hear your prayers, to listen to your prayers. His ears are open to their prayers. Not only does God listen to the prayers of the upright, but he also loves those who pursue him. I want to close out with this. In Matthew 6, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount or what Jesus uh, presented to us as the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus taught a lot about a lot of different things, but, but he gets to a place in, in Matthew 6 in this Sermon on the Mount where he begins to talk about anxiety. If I were to ask you how many of you ever experienced anxiety or worry, I, I don't have to ask you that because that would be pretty much 100% of us in this room, right? We all go to places where we, we just worry. I mean, there's, there's things to worry about, right? Well, not according to God. But anyway, but, but the reality is we, we have a tendency to worry. And so Jesus addresses anxiety and he says this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what clothes you're going to put on. Jesus says to, to his disciples, he says, don't worry about your barns being full or not being full. Don't worry about those things. He, he says, listen, he says, you don't have to worry about those things. And then he says this. He says, don't be anxious for tomorrow. And then he says this, for the Gentiles, they seek after all of those things. Not my disciples. The Gentiles, they seek after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus isn't saying you don't need something to eat, you don't need something to drink, you don't have to worry about all that. He's not saying that. He's saying don't worry about it. He said let others worry about that. Let the worldly pursue those things. Let them seek those things. But look at what Jesus says. But for you, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So Jesus says to His disciples, what are you worrying about life so much for? Just seek God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His holiness. The writer of Hebrews, he reminds us this way. He says, keep our eyes, let us keep our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our treasure. Who is our treasure. Do you know what my greatest takeaway from this passage is? I'm talking about me personally. My greatest takeaway from this passage is that Jesus is my treasure. You've probably already figured that one out. My greatest takeaway is that Jesus is my treasure and that he loves me because I have made him as much. What have you made him this morning? What have you made him in your life? Are you pursuing, pursuing the things of this world? Or 
Are you pursuing the greatest treasure that's ever been made available to you? Name Jesus. Who are we pursuing in our life? Somebody once told me, they said, we only have as much of God as what we really want of God. Because God will give you all that you want of himself. Amen? He will fill us up and fill us up and fill us up over and over again. He has a way of doing that. In just a moment, we're gonna, I'm going to pray and sort of wrap up this, the service. And during this time of prayer, our men are going to come to you and distribute the elements. In fact, I want to go ahead and just invite them to make their way to the back now and they can prepare to, to come down and pass out the elements. But we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, our band's going to come up. The men are going to come take their places. But I want to invite you to just remain seated throughout this time of worship. Just remain seated and just spend some time reflecting on who Jesus Christ really is. Is he your treasure or is there something else in your life? If so, I want to encourage you to maybe today make him your treasure. If the pull of this world has seemingly got you in its grip, then I want you to just think about the reality, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus has set us free from all of that. And that he has given us opportunity to pursue him with everything that we are. So let us, as we, as the band sings, let us just reflect on the, the reality that Jesus Christ, he came to this earth and he died on the cross a sacrifice for us. He died on the cross and that his blood was spilled for the atonement of our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but in three days he rose from the grave having victory over both sin and death. And here's why he's our treasure. Because he did all of that for us. He made the sacrifice becoming the greatest gift that we have ever received. Let us remember that. Let us celebrate that. Let us worship God in our thought of that. Let me pray, and then we will sing. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. God, that we have to come together as a faith family to worship you in spirit and truth, to be reminded of the fact that we have a treasure in Jesus. And God, oh, what a treasure that is to know that Jesus Christ, He died for us, but He lives for us. Father, I'm thankful that when we make much of You, You make much of us. And God, You have this amazing, remarkable ability to draw all men and women unto Yourself. And Father, I pray that today as we meditate as we reflect as we celebrate the things that you have accomplished in our life the things that you have accomplished for our behalf god that we would be moved that our souls will be stirred and god that we would worship you in spirit and truth even as the band sings maybe we sing 
those same lyrics for our life. God, may, maybe as the band sings, we pray and, and ask you, God, to help us with our, our pursuit of worldliness. Maybe, Father, during the song, you would draw us, each and every one of us, unto yourself, that we may be assured of your presence in our life, and God, that we would surrender, as we spoke about last week, and that today would be a day of pursuing, not the things of the world, but the things of Christ. Father, we love you so much. As we partake in the Lord's Supper, I pray, Father, that you would help us to remember that Jesus did this for us. That we could partake in the Lord's Supper and worship to Him. Lord, we love You and we praise You. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.